This is a podcast from meow.net. M-I-A-A-W dot net. Meow! Welcome to Genuine Inquiry, a monthly series of audio essays, each of which interrogates a topic close to our hearts. In this episode, I'm going to be referring to a text I've written recently for an edited publication by Cameron Cartier and Anthony Schrag on the ideas around failure and um, public art and socially engaged art. So that publication is going to be coming out later this year. And I've written a text um, which is called We Thought We Were Going to Change the World, Socially Engaged Art as Cruel Optimism. So I'm going to read from some of that text today um, and uh, share some of these thoughts and ideas with you. So despite promises and resources spent on trying to affect change, I suggest that the precarious service industry of socially engaged art can feel stuck tackling the effects of neoliberal capitalism, while broader structural inequalities continue to persist. So what I'm trying to do with this article is take Laurent Ballant's notion of cruel optimism, based on a book that she published in 2011, to navigate an attachment to the belief that socially engaged art holds the potential to create community and affect change. So I'm using this concept to better understand and reconcile the disappointment and potential harm that such an attachment might cause. And as scholars and practitioners of socially engaged art, I'm trying to um, encourage us <laughs> to reflect on our place in reproducing these inequalities and how our very attachment to the idea of transformation, transformation can result in a cruel twist that means we are destined to experience a sense of frustration on repeat across generations and geographies. So the question I'm asking is how do we live with and thrive through solidarity in this predicament? So I've used um, a, uh, a project, an ongoing project I've been doing as the basis uh, for the chapter. And that is a series of dinners I co-hosted with artists and activists in London, Singapore, Melbourne, Johannesburg and Montevideo between 20, 2011 and 2012. And these recorded conversations, dinner conversations, um, were about the uh, the guests at the dinners reflecting on their experiences of art and politics in the year 1984. So I chose that year 1984 because the first half of the 1980s in the UK, where I where I began the dinners, stood out to me as a period of political schizophrenia. And we've talked about this on this podcast series um, as well. It's when the Greater London Council was being run as an overtly socialist campaign, while Margaret Thatcher was prime minister, a conservative government was in power. I was interested in how and why artists were involved in left-wing politics and the conditions in which their practices and politics collided and the issues that this raised. So the method of that I can, you know, go into more detail in another episode about the um about the 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 1984 context, but um the method of the dinner format 
um, for me, was about allowing the guests at the table to shape the conversation, with each recall and reflection triggering further reminiscences and ruminations. And as such, these dinners and conversations garnered very different insights. And I think I'm, I'm suggesting that this sort of convivial approach to um, uh, to memory work and, and archive work um, is perhaps different to other research methods and methodologies, such as interviews um, or focus groups. And indeed, the generative effect of the dinner conversation can prompt a richer flow of reference points and experiences. So the informality and conviviality of eating and drinking together, I think, suggests in an encounter which could be considered less formal than perhaps a research interview or meeting, although such an arrangement could also be intimidating um, with inherent unspoken rules about table manners and what may or may not be shared, for example. So during the dinners, the guests reflected on the political, economic and institutional blockages, disappointments and forgetting that at times grounded and tested their faith in their ways of working. These were exercises in oral history that didn't pretend or try to be neutral, but they were um, imbued with the performance of recollect recollecting um, and and that's what happened around the table as people remembered and misremembered and contradicted memories and reinforced memories. And um, the dinners therefore became a stage for the creation of multiple versions and perspectives of 1984, depending on um, what and how the guests chose to recall those moments. So going back to Laurent Berland. Berlant explores the ordinary, I'm quoting now, as a, a zone of convergence of many histories, where people manage the incoherence of lives that proceed in the face of threats to the good life they imagine. Berlant's critique focused at the time she was writing on the idea of the American dream, a version of the good life which for most people will never come true, hence the cruelty of this promise. In the context of the dinners, it was communities of resistance and notions of empowerment and liberation that informed the futures that people around the dinner tables recalled actively working towards in 1984. So these were um, recollections of alternative anti-capitalist good lives, but the emotional and political attachments to the methods for getting there, I think could still be, to some extent, be deemed, uh, be deemed cruel as their goals were either never realised or corrupted en route. So what comes through um, the dinners and listening back to them are accounts of coexisting attempts at trying to affect change and that the belief that, uh, that persistence will result in change if we just keep going. But also there's a realisation that these ambitions were perhaps always doomed to fail or at least remain stuck in what Berlant calls the impasse of underfunded underfunded alternatives rather than as any serious threat to ongoing structural forms of abuse, racism and injustice, for example. So all of this um, work and um, interest in the idea of cruel optimism and, um, and reading Berlant's work in relation to listening back to these dinners um, is, a, is raising lots of questions for me, including um, are those of us practising 
socially engaged art, for example, today, continuing to angrily tread water in a process of attempting change, destined to never really move anywhere. Um, And if treading water is all we can do in the ongoing crises of the present, are we not codependent on keeping each other afloat? What are, the, what are the circumstances and implications of many of us burning out, just not can't carry on treading water anymore? Berlant quotes Marcuse, um, Herbert Marcuse, sorry, probably not saying that correctly. Um, she writes, while people comfort themselves with stories about, be, about beating the system or being defeated by it, they continue the struggle for existence in painful, costly and obsolete forms. That's rather a depressing uh, quote there, given the current context. So if drowning or rescue do not come, I ask, does our deluded treading continue and at what cost? So these are some of the questions I'm um, exploring in the in the chapter, and um, I'm not going to go into uh, into the detail now. I'll, I'll I'll leave that to for you to read in the chapter. But I just wanted to sort of flag up those um, those concepts and the and the kind of the context of of the dinners. Um, so in the in the chapter, I give a. Um, introduction to the context of the sites of the dinners in 1984 these different very different um political socio-political economic contexts um of the across these different continents um and um and i uh give examples of self-organized social practices arts practices that are referenced in the dinners um, I also try and reflect on that double bind of both hope and disappointment that are wrapped up in these activities. And I finish um, with a proposal that is inspired by Berlant of perhaps of how we could perhaps re-emphasise the convivial and conflictual aspects of social art practice today as modes of both living in and with the impasse, but also as a way of disrupting it. I then go on to dip into the, this entangled impasse to explore the historical paradigms of liberation that underpin some of the discussions at the dinners. And I refer to examples of liberation that come up, for example, in both um, in, in the UK, Australian and, and Singaporean dinners, um, which have led me to conclude, and I often come to this conclusion, that there is a real need to be critical of any promises of empowerment, and that concept itself is is worth um, constantly questioning. And um, so another term that Berlant comes up with is this idea of lateral agency, which I, um, uh, I explore a bit further as well. And... Um, Really, I mean, I guess what I'm asking here is the, um, or suggesting here as well, is that we'll put the the link in the show notes that you have a listen to the 1984 dinners yourself. There's a website I've um, uh, put up which is uh, hosts the the audio of the the dinners and some contextual information, and um, a bit about the method and how and why I went about it in this way, and um, and and think about how perhaps it could be used as a resource for intergenerational um, pedagogical archival tools, set of tools, um, how we can perhaps make connections, ask questions, invite 
anyone listening to the to this or to the dinners to respond to them to in, make interventions in response to them and um and also i'm hoping that you know this is an archive that can grow and continue and so if there is anyone interested in doing 1984 dinners out there um in your own context um do let me know it'd be great to collaborate with you on that and um and also to sort of reiterate as well that, that my delving back into that archive, audio archive, for the purposes of writing this chapter was a, an excuse for me to re-listen and to fo- carve a little path of many paths um, through that material. Um, I'd really like to thank all of the dinner guests and co-hosts of the dinners. I couldn't do these alone. They were they were absolutely reliant on on people in these different contexts who are as fascinated with um, with histories of art and politics as I am in this period. And I'm hoping that kind of through this we can build on this um, growing cultural history of art and activism and and this podcast as well itself, the the Meanwhile in an Abandoned Warehouse podcast, is also part of that interest in trying to kind of build complex and and rich histories um, uh, from different perspectives of, of art and politics. And I'm also really indebted to um, Berlant's writings um, uh, and they've also kind of helped me keep afloat whilst I've been dealing with some of the disappointments and frustrations um, with the practices that I both hold dear and also fear. So I'll leave it there and um, and, and hopefully um, some of th- these ideas might be interesting to people and, and I'll post the, uh, the information about the chapter as it's uh, when it's ready to be published and yeah thank you very much now that you've heard the podcast please go to the website there you'll find much more details about topics talked about links to references and much more you can find the website at meow.net that's m-i-a-a-w dot net see you there